Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. everyone and welcome to episode 428 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host Brad Roland coming to you in our traditional time slot. It is Sunday, November 12th and I'm joined as I often am by Scott Coleman. Scott, how are you on this fine evening in November? Hey Brad, I'm doing well buddy. It's a, uh, you know, I think we could probably turn this podcast into a 45 minute Brad Roland vent session about <laughs> Arthur Smith. We will not do that. Yeah, Yeah, we will not do that. I could also turn this into a 45-minute Bear Down, Arizona. They beat Duke on Friday night podcast. We, of course, will not do that. I would say with high certainty that we have some Duke Blue Devil fans listening to this podcast. So we will not do that. Hi, Dan Simpson. Nice to see you. Yes. Old friend Dan Simpson. But yeah, we are officially... We we will not talk about those two topics anymore. We will... uh, Yeah, off-season is officially here. No real moves. Of course, we talked about all of the options and everything like that that the Braves made decisions on earlier in the week and now we're just kind of in that waiting mode until stuff starts happening. Yeah, that's right. And uh if you have missed it or if you're a new listener, we do have regular podcast content on this feed. It is not always myself and Scott. We are uh the sort of flagship show that's been happening for a long time, but we do have Sean Coleman on Daily Hammer. We have Chris and Steven on the podcast we name later and they've talked uh, multiple times in the last few days since Scott and I last talked on Monday of last week. And like you said, not, not a ton has happened. There were some notable comments that I know we've covered a little bit on the podcast feed, but I think we probably need to hit on the two of us. And I guess we'll start there and then we'll talk about some award stuff. And we'll also take some questions at the end of the podcast. Um, mailbag time, Scott, because, you know, that's what we need to do in, in, in November. I'm sure that will not be the last time in the offseason that we talk, that we take some questions. That's probably going to happen. That is the one decided downside of the Alex Anthopoulos front office especially compared to John <laughs> Coppolella's man. We used to have rumors every single day. Yep. It felt like that front office leaked. Like, I don't even know what. And then Anthopolis, I mean, what 90% of his moves have probably been announced by the team. Just very little, I guess, credible rumors and reporting around Anthopolis and his team. So that is a decided downside of, of his great work. It is for content purposes. I certainly, uh, you know, I think Braves fans should be. If they're not, I think you're crazy. Should be happy about the Anthopolis era. I think he's very good at his job. You can debate where he is on the on a GM power rankings list, but he would be quite high on that list for me. But certainly from a content perspective and people that have to produce content, uh, it would be better for us if he were to leak some more, but that's okay. Anyway, uh, Alex actually talked to the reporters in the last few days and at the GM meetings that actually kind of, I guess they ended early because people got sick, kind of an odd situation. But anyway, he talked to reporters, um, the, the usual beat folks with the Braves, and uh, basically just said flat out that payroll was going to rise. 
Now, I'm not a, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on the, I think you and I last week, that the Braves are essentially printing money. They set a attendance record for the last you know 20 plus years this season. The battery is a large financial generator for the team, uh, and I I think it would have been kind of malpractice to not raise payroll but it is still notable because Alex doesn't say much of anything most of the time that he just kind of said yep yeah, gonna go up um, and then Terry McGurk who is Alex's boss said that the Braves had been on the quote glide scope end quote that they would stay on meaning meaning I think that it's gonna go up again did you see that quote because it was kind of funny just the way he framed that yeah glide scope I, yeah. Have, I don't think I've ever heard a major league payroll be referred to as that but Same. I mean, it makes sense, as you outlined, and I think just as common sense would tell you, of course, it feels like, I mean, ticket sales, man, have been unbelievably high. I mean, even it's not even like, yeah, they're selling out weekends against the Yankees and the Dodgers. I mean, there are like Tuesday night games in the middle of July against the Cincinnati Reds that have 40,000 people at them. Of course, the battery, parking, all of those items. So it makes sense that this team which is still very much in the middle of a World Series contention window that payroll would go up, and we'll just have to see just how much it's going to go up. Yeah, and also, you know, there's this whole topic conversation that kind of bleeds through everything about how the Braves, they're not necessarily running it back, as we'll touch on a question later on about this, actually, but they do have um, an inordinate amount of core guys signed long-term. So, you know, while some money is coming off the books, um, Eddie Rosario, most prominently, you could argue, and some of the relievers from last year, et cetera, they don't have like a big salary coming off the books. So to add to this team, they're going to have to go out and get some guys externally, as we'll talk about again, left field, starting pitcher, et cetera. But they don't have like a ton of money coming off the books. So you, in order to make your team better, uh, you probably have to add some money. And especially as guys get arbitration raises, like even you know guys like Max Free, guys like AJ Minter are making more and more money as they go through the R process as they should. Last year, they opened up about $203 million at the beginning of the season. That was above the the uh, the bargaining tax line, however you want to say that. Um, the competitive balance tax line, I believe is the official term. Um, and they added some money midseason, not a ton, but with Nicky Lopez, Pierce Johnson, they added a little bit, maybe a couple million dollars on the whole. Nothing big as they did, as they have in previous years, because honestly, they just didn't need to. They were so good by the trade deadline. They kind of just need to make some sure up moves. But again, if you're including some R projections, they're below where they were last year right now, but they pretty much have to, as we've all discussed, um, add at least a couple more guys, left field, starting pitcher. And, you know, it's interesting to me because the only, there's only really one way if they wanted to, I'm not saying shed payroll, but if they wanted to create some more flexibility, um, you know, of course, declining Eddie was one way to do that. And some of the relievers wanted one way to do that. The only guy, on this roster that is making real money, like eight-figure money, that is not a clear and concise core piece of this team is Marcelo Ozuna. And clearly, you know, Ozuna had a much better season this year. That is worth noting. But he also um, has his own baggage, and teams may not want to pay full value for the player, Marcelo Ozuna, in a trade. Um, he's always been a difficult piece to discuss. So they don't really have, like, an easy way to clear out even more money. So if they're going to add, I, I mean, maybe you could, argue for Rysel Iglesias. He's making a bunch of money, but they seem to value him at a high level. So I think it's going to take them just spending some more money. And we're all guessing right now, but I wrote this down. I wrote like $25 million, $30 million down. I mean, I certainly wouldn't mind if it was more than that. Does that sound right to you? Based on what we know right now, like they have some money to spend. We're all kind of guessing on how much they, how much they would be um, sort of green lit to spend because I'm sure Alex and Alex, by the way, has had success asking for more in the middle of the season, but he still has bosses. He's not the one choosing the payroll. So there's a little bit of give and take there. Yeah, that sounds right. And I think 
how I would approach it is the Braves, as we just outlined, have a lot of reasons to spend money right now. And the fact that they picked up a $20 million option for Morton and then guaranteed $17 million to a pair of relievers in Pierce Johnson and Joe Jimenez, the fact that they guaranteed almost $40 million on you know the, by the first week of November, I think that's a clear signal that they are going to spend. Uh, I, I think the 25 to 30 million sounds about right. I'm sure the Braves internally have a number that they will be around. Of course, then you also want to have a little bit of flexibility in the middle of the year to add at the trade deadline. But overall, man, I would sure hope that with, let's say on the higher end, if it's 30 million bucks, that you could add a, a good left fielder and a good starting pitcher. It may be one free agent and one trade. It might be two trades. It might be tough to do two free agents if that is the correct amount of money that's available just with the going market rate for good players. But if you have $30 million, I would sure think and hope that even if you have to dip into your prospect pool quite a bit, you could bring in two talented players at those positions of need and then just kind of fill out the, the periphery pieces of the roster with a few bucks between now and the start of the year. Right. And that's the theme. I think people, I'm not saying people forget this, but um, if you follow the Anthopolis tenure, it's not like he's gone out and spent huge in free agency. Most, most of, not the only moves, but most of the moves that they made, both big moves and middle size moves have been trades. Uh, this is not a situation where the Braves are, um, you know, enslaved to free agency where they have to go out and sign a pitcher and a left fielder. They could do, like you said, one, one or the other two trades, whatever it's going to be. They could say they could make two signings. That wouldn't stun me, but uh, you know, the market is what it is. And look again, we are totally guessing here. There's been no reporting that I have seen about where payroll might land. Uh, and they're not going to tell us because that would um, sort of hurt their flexibility and also hurt their negotiating power. If you're Alex, you don't want agents to know how much you're allowed to spend. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's a very simple thing in some ways, but it kind of gets forgotten, especially in a, Yes, there's a luxury tax or a competitive balance tax, but it's not like the NBA or the NFL where there's a defined salary cap. Um, agents, there's not, you know, it's 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 a give and take there, and it, it benefits Alex. And I think he has chosen to believe that it benefits him a lot to not leak anything at all. But especially with regard to like what your payroll constraints may be, or your non-constraints in this case may be, you want to make it clear to agents that like you don't have unlimited money, basically. Yeah, that, that all sounds right. And I think Anthopolis has a reputation of being one of the better negotiators in the game. It's been pretty rare that he's given out just a complete dud of a contract during his tenure. And there was actually a, a graph going around this week about net war added via trade. And Anthopolis is, I believe he was number one in his tenure over the last five years of <laughs> net war added to the roster by by trade. And of course, he's been very, very good in that regard, adding Matt Olson and Sean Murphy and a few others. Um, so yeah, I think rightfully so. Alex has earned, he has a lot of leeway with his offseason moves and who knows what the official number is, but I'm pretty confident that no matter what he does, I would be surprised if this front office comes back in four months and you and I talk and we go, man, I don't know about these moves. I think they have more than earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, the roster moves they want to make. That is a good way to put it. I, I think that we will, if we don't like something, we always will say so. But uh, I, th I do think that Alex has, uh, you know, done a remarkably strong job 
uh, since he arrived. So it's not a situation where you're going in expecting the Braves to make a mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they might make one and nobody is perfect. And certainly if I, I can make a list of things that I, I haven't loved in the Anthopolis era that haven't always worked out beautifully, but there are basically no disasters in there and the highs have been extremely high. So certainly we'll see how that all unfolds. But when, when we touch on that at the top of the podcast, um, before we get some, some mailbag questions, uh, a little bit of more newsy things here. You know, it is awards time. This is not uh, your favorite thing nor mine, but it is the big week for awards is coming up this week. The Braves did win some awards of the, of the Silver Slugger variety. The team one was an absolute no-brainer. They were always going to win that. Uh, Ronnie, Olsen, and Riley all won their respective Silver Sluggers. Uh, the only one I got a question about that I found on on, uh, on Twitter was actually about Riley because, um, you know, he didn't have his best possible season by any means, but he was a pretty clear choice at third base too. Like he led all third basemen in home runs at OPS. Like he was a pretty obvious one. And of course, Ronnie and Olsen were always going to win. So I have nothing to add there, but congratulations to those guys. Yeah, really cool. I thought the the team award is a cool new addition. I think Kevin Pillar just half jokingly tweeted during the week that <laughs> he would that. tell his yeah he would tell his kids in twenty years that he was a, a silver slugger. It's true. As part of the the team award. That's right, man. I'm sure they will all get plaques or trophies or something like that. Um, yeah, you mentioned Austin Riley. I mean, what does it say about the kind of player that he has become? Where he leads National League third baseman in OPS and home runs with 37 and it's like yeah he was pretty good like you know he's fine yeah right i mean just and of course austin riley is a phenomenal baseball player his development over the last three years has been incredible to watch i think both you and i years ago were admittedly not like full-on yeah this guy's going to be a superstar one day in terms of our evaluation but man he is just becoming such a special player and um, very well deserved for ronald and, and matt as well yeah Certainly, uh, I will raise my hand and admit I did not look at all about Silver Slugger before it was handed down. But if if we had done a preview, it would have been very obvious to me that all three of those guys were going to win. And uh, and they did. So there you go. Um, the big ones, though, coming this week, Monday is Rookie of the Year, which is not going to factor with the Braves this year. Tuesday is Manager of the Year, where Brian Snicker is a finalist, and that, that is certainly deserved. I don't know if he's going to win. Um, do you have an opinion on whether Brian Snicker should win Manager of the Year, Scott? Is there a hot take uh, hmm. in your holster right now? Maybe not a hot take. <laughs> I, I am guessing that Skip Schumacher with the Marlins is going to win. I would say, though, for Brian Snitker, the four, let me ask you, Brad, do you know this off the top of your head? Who was fourth in innings pitched for the Atlanta Braves this past season? Oh, wow. Uh, it's going to be something stupid or you wouldn't. Yeah, oh, it, it is. Yeah, uh, I I am. I, um, I, I, you know what, Scott? Just tell me. I'm not I'm embarrassed myself on this podcast. I think I have an idea, but I don't want to say it out loud. It was drumroll, Michael Tonkin. That was my idea, but I was I, I was afraid to be wrong. Uh, and that is oh. that's a wild stat, by the way. Absolutely wild for a manager who seemingly never had his starting rotation healthy at any point in the year. And, and Michael you know, Tonkin. Michael oh, that's Tonkin. An, that's outrageous. Most- I mean, just to set it, set the stage a little bit beyond that because it's a it's a great pull by you. The Braves won, as a reminder to everyone, the Braves won 104 games. <laughs> and Michael Tonkin um, made, I believe, no starts, unless he made one that I forgot about. No, zero starts. Um, yeah, it, when when a long reliever has more innings pitched than Max Freed for the season, and a long reliever that was like a fringe guy coming into the year, th- that is an outrageous stat. I'm glad you yeah. told me that. I will now never forget it, as long as I live. Yeah, there you go. So um, I guess that's my way of saying Brian Snitker, very, very deserving. But I think the narrative of 
of uh, I think the manager of the year award tends to go to who took the team that was the worst and had the greatest improvement. And I think naturally that's probably Skip Schumacher, but um, it would be quite funny if it was Craig Council with yeah. the Milwaukee Brewers after all of the drama this past week with him going to Chicago. I'm guessing he will be third behind Snit, but I, I think Schumacher and, and deservedly so. The Marlins, despite all of their flaws, were a fun story all year. Yeah, and this is not something that we're going to do 10 minutes on, but I, I genuinely hate the way Coach of the Year, Manager of the Year awards are given across American sports. I think what you said is right. It's almost always the guy who overachieves compared to expectations, which is fine, and I, I get it, and that's why I won the Marlins this year. But like Snicker, I'm not I'm not going to the mat on he has to win the award. But there's something to be said for being the manager of the best team in the league. And yeah, he made it had he might have the best roster. There's no question about that. But like a steady hand there, um, you know, all kinds of arguments on his behalf. The consistency. I know it's a one year award, but um, you know, building the culture I think has to be some sort of measuring stick there on the manager because especially given that I think manager managerial moves in season are almost certainly overrated in terms of how much we talk about them. And that's including us, but the way that he has culture set this team. And again, I'm shaking my head still about that stat you just gave, but Michael Tonkin, uh, Snick could win and he would certainly deserve it. Uh, that, that's all oh, I would yes. say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so after that is the, uh, the, the bigger ones, I will say Wednesday is Cy Young. Uh, Strider was on the fringe of being a finalist. He's not a finalist, so he's not going to win. Uh, neither was Justin Steele. Basically, it seemed like there were five candidates and three finalists. So two guys got left off. It was Strider and Steele. We talked about this a lot during the season and maybe at the end of the season. Strider had a very interesting Cy Young case. Um, I believe on this podcast at some point, I declared in like September that he just was not going to win, even if he probably should or at least could have, because in the end, a lot of voters look at the ERA column. And he finished 13th in the RA in the National League. And you're just not going to win Cy Young with that. And I'm not saying that's yeah. what I would do, but you're just not going to win. Yeah, and I think when you look at Strider's year on the whole, it was just those really random and bizarre blowups, usually against bad teams. Like that that start in Pittsburgh stuck out to me where he gave up like nine earned runs over two and a third innings and all was well, and then he gave up seven hits in a row. And I mean, those are the kind of starts that can kind of derail a stat like ERA. So it's a bummer for Strider. Let's hope that this is just the uh, the beginning of a really special career and he'll be an annual Cy Young guy. But no, overall, it's it's not a huge shock, and I'm sure he'll get plenty of votes. I would imagine that Blake Snell, who had some historic numbers, at least even if they weren't like the most advanced stats, I mean, just on the, <laughs> the surface level, uh, yeah. Blake Snell had some really, I, I mean, he had a stretch of, I forget the numbers. Uh, I'm going to butcher whatever it is. But overall, man, if Strider's top five in Cy Young every year, the Braves are going to be just fine. Yeah, uh, no hot takes there. I think he he probably should finish. He probably should have finished higher than he will. And that's kind of all I have to say about that. I don't think he's definitely was like supposed to win or whatever. Great year for him. More of that to come. Thursday is MVP where Ronnie is at, I think all the odds have been taken down at this point because all the voting is in and it could leak pretty easily. But um, Ronnie was a large favorite. The last time there were odds on this, I will be surprised if he doesn't win. There's been a lot of talk about this. This is not our, again, not our main beat, but it's Ronnie, it's Betts, and it's Freeman. Olsen is going to finish fourth, almost certainly. He was not a finalist, but I think that's a lock in a lot of ways. Um, I've said a lot about this. So if you, all I have right now is that I believe Ronnie will win. I believe Ronnie should win. 
I don't think it's outrageous to vote for someone else, but I do think that he is the rightful winner. Yeah. I mean, just the the history that he had with the home runs and the stolen bases. Um, I think he's going to win. It was funny, Brad. I don't know if you caught this. I am pretty sure the Baseball Writers Association of America made a gigantic gaffe when they announced the finalists a couple of days ago. For Oh, they were were in order? They were in order of presumably how the voting went. So you would think that you would just list the three finalists in alphabetical order. Uh, no, they Ronald Acuna was first, and then Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, which is, I guess, is alphabetical order as well. But all the other awards there were, other ones, were, yeah. were in what you would presumably think the voters would would vote on. So, um, actually, funny enough, I think Jeff Passan. I, I was it. I was gonna say I, I was about to make a joke about Passan being your because that's that's where I saw and I thought that I thought Passan just did that. Are you're saying that that BBWA announced it that way? That's even funnier. I thought Passan just I, like I, made his own guess. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. I believe I, I don't. I mean, I don't know the exact backstory. Jeff and I are not, you know, pen pals. But, yes, you um, are. That's not true. You guys, but are close. Um, yeah. So I, I think someone made a mistake and put out the award winners in order. But ultimately, I just don't think there's a ton of drama with these awards. And I mean, just a special year for Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, what a comeback! Does, does baseball do comeback player of the year? Um, I honestly don't know. I should know that, but I don't. I think they do. I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, he's he's deserving uh, for, as well, coming back from injury. Um, I think the MVP award is is more than deserved for Ronald and really just a special year and um, just a historic race between him and Mookie. Freddie was awesome. Matt Olson was great. Just a, a really fun year in the National League. Yeah, I mean, Ronnie winning it is uh, obviously pretty uh, pretty absurd. Uh, I have to say, I, I'm, I went back and looked at our preseason predictions, um, which I'm sure you have forgotten, and I, I did too. But I, uh, I looked at the document that we put together. We did pretty well. Um, you know, not, it wasn't like it was out of the ordinary to pick Ronnie to be the team, the team MVP. But we did, I think, both mentioned him as a, um, if not the front runner, one of the front runners for MVP. And uh, I, I believe that we all talked about, well, also talked about the fact that Olsen could hit 50 home runs. And uh, yeah, he did pretty good there. Um, yeah. Anyway. Ronnie hopefully will win. I think he's going to win. And um, you know, look, a lot of people got invested in that. And I, I think it got heated at times and probably too heated at times between the the Ronnie and the, the bets thing. But um, fans, I think a lot of fans, not all fans, but certainly a lot of fans are, are or at least were very invested in that during the season. So it'd be nice to see Ronnie uh, awarded. Believe, I believe that he will be. And I'm sure Sean will talk about it this week when it happens or if it happens, I suppose. I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, that'll be fun. And uh, if you don't care about it, I understand that too, but it's certainly cool. Yeah, very cool. Should be fun to kind of put a bow on the 2023 season. And uh, yeah, Brad, let's transition here to kind of more sad news. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This has been covered by our worthy colleagues, but uh, Ron Washington is the manager of the Angels now, which look awesome for Wash. The guy is beloved. You saw a lot of players and people around the organization went out of their way to publicly congratulate Wash. Uh, that kind of shows you um, not only is he a legend as far as like infield training, that's another thing that's like under like undersold is like his influence on that side of things, but just personality wise, et cetera. The jokes about his third base uh, green light are always funny too, but a super valuable guy in the clubhouse and for a manager, now a manager again. He And he is also taking Eric Young with him, which is not a small loss either. So the Braves have been very fortunate during this run actually to kind of keep everybody basically on their staff. Um, and now they have a couple spots to fill. I know DOB reported, I believe it was today that the Braves are going to hire, make, make two hires. Like I think they're going to actually go out. Maybe I don't, I'm not necessarily going to be outside the organization. Probably but they're going to actually definitively make two hires, not, not just shove people around. So we'll see how, what they do there, but certainly a big loss. Wash is uh, a legend to be sure. Yeah, really. I mean, on a, on the brave side, a real loss losing Ron Washington. You think about the improvements defensively that, some of these infielders have made during their young careers. You know, Austin Riley at one point was like a fringe third baseman in the minor leagues. And there were questions if he was going to stick at third or if he'd have to move to first or whatever it may be. And he has really come a long way defensively. Dansby Swanson, of course, gold glove caliber shortstop. I'm sure he really improved from what he learned from Wash. Ozzy Albies is as solid as it gets at second base and has been for years. So you you talk about the work. I mean, just every single day, it seems like he's out there doing infield practice with those guys. But uh, and on the Ron Washington side, man, good for Wash for getting a chance. He is 70 years old. You know, the Angels' job is not very appealing. They are going to be, I think, pretty bad for the next few years. It was only a two-year contract as well. I, you know, I don't think anyone expects Wash to manage until his, he's 80 years old, but I wouldn't put it past him with all the energy that he has. Um, but it's, you know, it's going to be a tough job in Anaheim, losing Otani. Mike Trout is getting older. They just don't have a ton of healthy talent in that organization, but very happy for him and for Eric Young to go as well. And uh, you're right, man. I mean, it's really the first time in a, in this whole run that they've lost coaching staff. Folks, they have gotten some of the front office members poached yeah. over the over the years. But in terms of the coaching staff, it's been very much status quo. And we'll see who they bring in. Agreed. And I don't have a lot of insight on that. So, uh, you know, we'll see who gets reported as candidates and maybe, you know, gets just hired out of this out of blue. Because, again, this is the Braves. They're probably going to hire people and not really have them link. We'll see how that goes. Um, you mentioned Otani. Good transition point to get into our a couple of mailbag questions here at the end of the podcast. we got a question from Ireland who says, is there any chance at all that the Braves could sign Shohei Otani? And also, would you if you could? Um, <laughs> would I sign Shohei Otani? Yes, I, know, I, I, I would. I, I chuckled as well, but you know. Yes. No, I, I'm just imagining Shohei in Atlanta. Um, yes, I mean, I would. I think the elbow, ongoing elbow issue is very... I don't want to say concerning, but it's very much a point of contention with just how big of a contract he's going to get. I mean, some of the early projections for Shohei have been 10 years, $500 million. Or, I mean, that is crazy money. Um, 
So I wouldn't necessarily put it at zero for the Braves, but it's it's like less than 5%, maybe not even that much. I, I've always thought that Shohei will stay on the West Coast somewhere, whether it be with the Dodgers or the Giants or even the Mariners, I think are kind of a sneaky uh, possibility. There's always the Mets and the Yankees as well. But uh, yeah, man, hey, if the Braves want to make a run for Shohei, I'd be all for it. I just uh, very sadly don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, I saw DOB did like a MLB Network interview and literally said 0%. Um, I don't know if I would say 0%, but it is. it, it would be a very low number. Um, and yeah, I think intentionally, without going crazy into Otani, um, his, his side has kept things very quiet. And I think all that's ever been reported or thought by people that are kind of plugged in are, are that, like you said, he, I think he prefers to stay on the West coast. And also he just wants to win more than he's won with the angels. Um, which is, uh, that kind of puts like, you know, it's, it's the Dodgers, maybe the giants, maybe the Mariners, like that kind of thing. Um, we'll see, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 Cubs, Cubs got some pickup this week. Yeah. About... I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Maybe, I mean, maybe I'll be wrong. Um, yeah. I but... mean, every, every team in major league baseball, other than maybe two or three are going to make the phone call. You have it's to make the phone call. Of... I mean, that's the thing. I'm sure Alex will. Um, it's a little bit true. Again, this is down the rabbit hole because we agree, by the way. Just to make it very clear, the second part of this question, would we sign him? Absolutely, we would. It's not It's not our money, number one. And Shiroitani is the best player in the world when he's healthy. Um, you go out and do that if you can. Also, it'd be a massive boon to even, you know, you'd sell a lot of jerseys, all that stuff. Um, it'd be a little tricky this year because he can't he can't throw. Um, if people might have forgotten this by now, but he's going to be out. He can't, he can't pitch this year. Um, he had he had Tommy John, so uh, he is going to DH, and he's still extremely valuable as a DH. But um, you know, with the Braves' current setup, that'd be a little bit tricky. But long term, I think he still wants to pitch, and we'll see. But yeah, I mean, would we? Sure, it'd be awesome to talk about and watch every single day. But I would be fairly surprised. <laughs> I would love it though. So I would say this: if the Braves signed Shohei, I genuinely think that every single home game would sell out next season. I what mean. Yes, uh, they sold out most games this year, and I, I think that uh, he would draw some more casual people out that wouldn't always come. And yeah, I think that's that's probably safe. The, the only thing is, he for the Braves, he would not be the same kind of financial differentiator that he would be for some other places because the Braves are already making so much money. Like you can't just you know you know what I mean. It's it, there's a limit there's a limit to how much money you can make um, probably. And I think if right. he went somewhere else, like if he, if he went to the Mariners. For example, a franchise that's never won the World Series, et cetera, it's on the West Coast. I think that would he would pay for himself. You know what I mean? Like as far as off off field oh, generation sure. of tickets, like there are some franchises where he would pay for himself. I don't know if the Braves are one of those, but the Braves are also so good at baseball that it would be maybe worth it to him. I don't know, but anyway, I, I think we we're far afield. I think it's not going to happen, but we got the question, so I want to answer. Yeah, that's right. It is fun to dream. It is very fun to dream about Shohei Otani. Um, with the Braves. Um, question from Clint, who says, it seems like the Braves picked a decent year to need a pitcher and not a position player in free agency. Does that jive with what you guys are seeing? Obviously, the Braves do need a left fielder, but there you go. Uh, crucial point here before I hand it to you, Scott. We talked about it earlier. We'll just say it one, one more time. It doesn't have to be a free agent. The Braves are not limited free agents. They can make a trade. But the consensus is, again, I'm not an expert necessarily on this. We know a lot of these guys, but Everyone in Major League Baseball that I have seen, and maybe you, I'm, I'm sure you probably have as well, believes this is a pretty bad position player class. Obviously, put, put Otani to the side. He's kind of his, his own group. But it's a pretty bad position player class and a pretty good pitching class. So 
to that and Clint's question, I believe is what he's asking. Like there is, there are more pitchers who are of established quality available than there are position players. So uh, through yeah. that lens, the answer is probably yes. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, if the Braves needed to add like half a lineup worth of position players, it'd be like, wow, man, it'd be who, a bad time to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are they going to go get? Right. Um, you know, th- this free agent class, there are some intriguing left field options. I don't know if any of them are necessarily perfect fits, but you know, we'll talk about those guys in a second. The starting rotation market is, I think it's going to be a pretty healthy market for those guys. Granted, you are talking almost exclusively about starting pitchers on the wrong side of 30, in some cases on the wrong side of like 32, 33, 34. So that's always, uh, it just kind of adds to the risk, I think. But if you're going to spend in free agency, there is always an amount of risk, uh, you know, other than those one-year deals that Alex has been very open to. I just don't quite think any of these impact starters are going to have to settle for a one-year deal. And you know what? Sometimes you have to give an extra year. You have to give a few extra bucks in order to add talent. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that we're going to talk about this a lot more probably as the dominoes begin to fall. Like right now, as of, again, Sunday, November 12th, no one has signed, essentially, without re-signing with their own teams. Like free agency is not, it, it has started, but it hasn't started, if that makes sense. We've not seen any of the top, you know, 25 guys basically sign elsewhere. So when it starts... We'll kick it up a little bit more, but there are a bunch of guys who I think would be at least number three level starters on a good team available. And I'm talking about like five, six, seven, eight guys available who would fit at least that bill. And I think people, this is maybe uh, an offshoot conversation we can save for later, but you know, I've seen, I won't name names. I saw someone who covers the Braves just flat out say that the Braves needed a quote front line starter this, this winter. And I, I don't really agree with that premise um, because frontline starter for me is like a number one starter and the Braves already have two of those guys. Like I understand everyone wants the team to be as good as it can be, but the Braves objectively do not need needs an important word there, a number one or two starter. They already have a number one starter and a number two starter. They need a guy who could be an effective three, four. And again, you want better than that, but I just, maybe that's just a wording thing for me, but is that, does, does that strike you as odd or is it just me? No, I mean, sure. You would love to have a rotation of yeah. five. Just <laughs> five aces. Out. Yes. Five incredible starting pitchers, eight perfect relievers, nine great hitters. Sure. Obviously that that's the, uh, that's the dream. Right. But um, yeah, I, I generally agree. I mean, with, with what you said and not the, the official, the original point, <laughs> I, I think as you and I talked about when the Charlie Morton option was picked up, we are both totally fine with it. That's cool. We love Charlie Morton. Perfectly fine third, fourth starter, but they need to go out and add somebody to pitch behind Freed and Strider. And ideally someone who, while you cannot predict the future, you could hand the ball to in game two or game three of a playoff series and feel pretty good about it. And also, right? by the way, not to cut you off, ideally someone who you could get who, who you actually be signing for more than one season because you have free hitting free agency and Morton being 40 and um, not that we're getting too greedy, but you got to think a little bit about 25, 26, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely part of the equation because in a year's time, the very real possibility is that Charlie Morton is retired and Max Freed is a free agent and seemingly going elsewhere. Um, Very possible. Two very, very, right. Like we, I mean, you and I could talk for hours about, 2025 2026 and roster construction and all of that but there is a real possibility 
then in a year's time, the Braves are going to need to add two impact starting pitchers. And if they don't add somebody this offseason who's going to be a factor in 2025, then you're almost looking for three guys. I don't know. That that seems pretty daunting. So not that you want to just hand out a blank check and overpay for a pitcher. But ultimately, man, I mean, of course, the front office has to think about more than just the upcoming season. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the question, it is a pretty good year to need a pitcher in the market, especially a pitcher that is uh, a good pitcher, not necessarily a great one. There are some really good ones. You know, not, Yamamoto might be an ace. I don't know if the Braves are going to get in that mix or not, but Nola and Montgomery and your guy, Sonny Gray and Marcus Stroman and Michael Waka and Seth Lugo, like they have a bunch of guys who may not, there are varying levels of sexiness with those guys. I'm not arguing otherwise, but this is still a team that had two, that has two of the top 15 pitchers in baseball on the team. And then, I'm not going to say that we have we we should assume Morton is the same guy he was last year at age 40, but Charlie Morton was a top 30 or 40 starter in baseball last year. And if he's your number three or four starter, that is do the math on that. That's pretty good. So yeah. uh it is what it is. Uh the Braves are the Braves will be okay if they get a guy who we can credibly say is a top three in a rotation. Um, and if they don't, we'll probably criticize that. Um, I think that we'll talk about names more often. I I know where your heart lies and it's with Sonny Gray. Hmm. I understand that. It's fine. The Sonny Gray train has left the station, Brad. <laughs> uh, no, I'm if, for, the, uh, for the seventh year in a row. Sonny Gray is on Scott's target right. list. If folks go back and listen to a podcast from like 2018, I guarantee you there's a podcast where I'm saying, Hey, the Braves should trade for Sonny Gray. Um, you know, outside of the pitching market though, for free agent left fielders, you know, there are some interesting players. All of them have a wart of some kind, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Probably the bigger names, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, old friend Jorge Soler, other old friend Jock Peterson. <laughs> Very familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah, those guys are known pretty well around Truist Park. Tommy Pham, and, and the list goes on and on and on with kind of more average to sub-average type options. So, um, you know, all of that being said, th- there's defensive questions with a few of these guys they're more like left fielder slash dh types um you know they're also all i believe on the wrong side of 30 which is not a death sentence for outfielders but again there's no other than maybe cody bellinger there's no player here who you would like comfortably feel good about for the next four or five years and of course i don't think you're going to have to go four or five years for a handful of those names but i kind of get the vibe brad that if the Braves are going to add a left fielder. It will be by trade. And if they're going to add a starting pitcher of impact, it will be in free agency. That, just a I, guess, just yeah. a hunch, an educated guess, maybe just based on the market. But if you tell me that in a few months, the Braves have signed one of the maybe not top class starting pitchers, but one of those kind of middle class guys, and then use some of their prospects to add a left fielder, that would be my guess as of early mid November. But I, you know, I don't say it with any super strong conviction. I think your reasoning is quite sound there, given the market and given the, what the Braves need. And again, not to, I'm not trying to intentionally be uh, a wet blanket here, but the Braves, this is kind of the same argument as the starting pitching thing. The Braves don't need a star left fielder. The Braves just won 104 games with Eddie Rosario as the primary left fielder. Like they, that, they, they're, you're allowed to have a spot on your team that's not a star. I know they have shortstop as well, but like they might. Just they might, I don't, I'm not saying will, they might aim not lower, but like they might aim in the middle of left field. You know what I mean? It may not be a guy who's going to blow you away. And that's okay. As long as you do what you need to do elsewhere. Um, and you're right about the, those names are not 
terribly inspiring. Uh, you put in here, and that's that's kind of funny. Um, the projection that I believe it was MLB Trade Rumors did for Cody Bellinger to get more than two fifty, like two fifty in the market, uh, that is a lot of money for Cody Bellinger. Um, so yeah, I think that especially if the Braves make a splash in left field, it almost certainly is going to be a trade because they're not. Okay, I shouldn't say this. I don't believe they're going to sign Cody Bellinger. <laughs> I could be wrong, no. but uh, unless they do, there isn't anybody else that would qualify as a splash. There are some guys who could be starters for you, but nobody else is like, oh, huge upgrade in left field. Everybody else is kind of like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, right. Like if, if you're telling me the Braves, I just opined that they're going to trade for an outfielder, but if they do go the free agent route and add Jock Peterson on a two-year, $25 million deal, like I'd be totally cool with that. Like set aside the affection that we all have for Jock and the, his legendary run, but you know, a good but not great left fielder. He would probably bat fifth or sixth in the lineup most nights. Adds a lot of power, which plays up from the left side. Like totally cool with that. I think you know, if, of course, as we just said a little while ago, we would love for the Braves to have nine All Stars. It's just probably not feasible unless they want to go up to like an insane kind of payroll or just empty out like every single prospect worth a darn in the system. And, uh, you know, again, we know how good the top four or five of this lineup is. And if you're looking for a player to be more of a complimentary type, that's still going to hit the ball. Well, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, and in typical fashion, you and I have gone longer than we thought we were going to go. So one more question that we'll get to, and then we'll have more, I promise everyone later on in the winter, but it comes from Brandon who says, is there any takeaway from the Rangers winning the world series or from the Diamondbacks making the World Series. Is there anything the Braves can learn from either side? I'll throw it to you, Scott. I'll let you answer this one first, especially because it's your hometown, your beloved Arizona Diamondbacks in the mix here. But obviously they didn't win. But in the end, this is what happened. So do you have a takeaway from this? The takeaway is that I want the Braves to get really hot in the first week of October <laughs> yes. for a month. I, I, uh, to, uh, 2021 would be nice when the Braves yes. uh, got really hot in one World Series. Yes. Yes. Have a couple of, of favorable matchups. Be healthy, I think, is the big thing. Man, like the last two years, the Braves' starting rotation has had some issues over the last few weeks, which is just horrible timing. Um, you know, an interesting stat, I know there was some talk about how the Diamondbacks in particular were bunting a bunch, which I think longtime listeners of the show know Brad and I do not endorse bunting almost ever. Um, a great stat from Sarah Langs of MLB.com. This past postseason, teams who out-homered their opponent went 25-4. and four. So the team that hit more home runs that night went 25-4 and four in the playoffs. Last year, it was 22-6. and six. So very similar, hit the ball out of the ballpark, you're going to win. And then this is more conventional wisdom, but the team who scored first in the playoffs this year went 32 and nine, which is really high. I would wager that's even a higher number than in the regular season. Conventional wisdom would say, sure, of course you want to score first in a nine inning game, but if you can get out to an early lead and if you can out homer your opponent, which is far easier said than done. That, that's really kind of my takeaways. But no, man, I mean, it, if there was some magic formula to win the World Series, every front office in baseball would be trying to do it. I think it's more narrative driven than anything like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you just try to get to October as healthy and firing on all cylinders as you can, and you see what happens. I am going to try desperately to not say the word random or the word variance more than once in my answer. So I'm going to do that right now. 
the baseball playoffs. Sorry if this has been familiar, something that's come out of my mouth before, Scott, but the baseball playoffs are both random and have extremely high variance in the modern age. What? There are, I know it's it's a revolutionary concept, but um, there are more teams than ever in the playoffs. Baseball is a very random sport already. And the biggest thing about, the biggest takeaway I have is that the teams that make the playoffs most often or the teams that um, are most likely to win the playoffs uh, sorry, to make the playoffs are the teams that I would like to be in business with because it's really just about getting there. And yeah, you want to have home field. That'd be nice. But even then, by the way, the Rangers, who I will say, objectively, the Rangers were were good this year. The Diamondbacks, less so. Uh, but the Rangers were top four in Major League Baseball at run differential. They, that was a good team this year. But they also went, this is so funny to me, they went 11-0 on the road in the playoffs, Scott. 11-0 on the road. Yeah. That's Crazy. not something you can project. That is a can't predict ball situation. Um, they also hit the crap out of the ball, like you said. I mean, they had the best power outlay, uh, sorry, outlay in the playoffs. That's why they won. They had two two quality starting pitchers, and Eovaldi and Montgomery, and then they pieced it together, kind of in the way the Braves did two years ago, where it was like they had a pitcher or two, and everything else was just like a total, um, you know, duct tape job around the margins. They just got they got they got it done. The Diamondbacks were just very lucky. I mean. They played well when it mattered, but even in the playoffs, they didn't actually hit. They had roughly the same OPS in the playoffs that they had in the regular season, which was not good. They were below average. Like they just kind of had timely hitting and they pitched fairly well. But, you know, I think that there's basically nothing you could take away from the Diamondbacks in the playoffs. I don't mean that to be rude, but I don't think there's really a baseball projection takeaway to Arizona making the world series i mean i might i might be wrong about that but it's just like they, they they got hot and they got lucky however you want to say that all those things happened at the same time and good for them i mean it was it was it was a fun run but i'm i'm both glad they didn't win and kind of upset that they didn't win because if they had won it would have been the ultimate um data point for us in the baseball is random discussion because like that would have been yeah. probably the worst team to ever win the world series like ever um, yes yeah and i mean there's only one other team that had a, a run, run differential anywhere near them and it was in 1987 and that was still a situation where there was only four teams in the playoffs so at least they made the, they made the playoffs yeah. so they didn't win and i guess that's fortunate and that the better team did win but also unfortunate good like uh, our uh, our narrative didn't quite form the way that it should have but i'll ask yeah and you know the other narrative which is kind of funny looking back on it was you know oh philadelphia they have just a bunch of dogs in that yeah. lineup oh. and a bunch of dudes who bring yeah, all yeah, the energy and that they, they don't ever lose at home and, and all this stuff. And what did they do? But they lost game six and game seven at home in the NLCS for a chance to go to the World Series. And all of a sudden, all that talk about just a bunch of dogs who know how to get hits in the big moments and their clutch and all this stuff. You know, man, it's all narrative driven. It's kind of like momentum. You have momentum until you don't. It is what it is. If, as I said a little while ago, if there was some kind of magical formula, every every front office would be trying to bottle it up and and give it to their guys in the early October. It really is just a, a mix of needing talent. You have to have a lot of talent. You have to have a lot of depth, especially to navigate 162 games. But then once October begins, it's just it's all crazy from there, man. I mean, look at go back to like 2018 when this World Series or uh, division title run for the Braves began. I mean, think about some of the randomness of the teams who won the World Series. 2019, the wild card Washington Nationals. 2021, the Braves. 
this past year, the Rangers, who were horrible in August and even early September, and they got into the playoffs with like two days to go. They go on that crazy run. Even last year, the Phillies kind of limped into the playoffs, and then he blinked, and all of a sudden they were red hot. I wish there was more predictability to it, especially when you're a fan and a podcast for a, a Braves <laughs> team that's been very clearly one of the best rosters in the sport for four or five years now. But uh, just thank God the Braves got their ring in 2021, and hopefully they can get another one here soon. Yeah, the Phillies are just built for the playoffs, Scott, and they scored three runs combined in those two losses at home against the Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 6 and Game 7. Um, this very similar Braves team is no longer built for the playoffs in the eyes of some, despite the fact that they won the World Series two years ago. Um, you know, it, it, is, it really is... I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but um, it, it really is very difficult to talk about baseball in a modern context because a lot of it just simply is randomness. <laughs> and it's like, it's maddening and it, it's hard, hard to explain. Anyway, the Braves, I, I still feel uh, the best path to win the World Series is to make the playoffs. And uh, that's where I am. And there's lots of, and it, there is a lot of narrativizing and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's all short samples. And we talked about at the end of the World Series, at the, sorry, the end of the Braves playoff run, but they just simply didn't hit for a week. And that is unfortunate, but they didn't hit for a week and that's why they lost. And here we are. Um, okay. That's all we need to do on today's podcast, I think, Scott. We could talk about the Michael Harris trade stuff, but we'll, we'll say that later on, I guess. And just to be clear, if you missed this, he's not actually rumored to be traded. There was just a uh, there was a column that talked about him uh, potentially being on the market or something. Um, let's say that for later. Anything else you want to plug, Scott, other than your uh, Arizona Wildcats being uh, a gauntlet in college football? That's right. The top 20 is like the first time in a decade that Arizona football has been halfway decent. Not even halfway decent, just flat out good. And they weren't um, supposed to be this good. They just kind of are. I mean, this is not an Arizona football podcast, but uh, they have won four in a row. Yep. Um, they have only one loss this year to a not good team, and it's Mississippi State, and that was on the road. And yeah, they've been uh, again. Most, I, I'm gonna Scott. How many people listen to this podcast? Do you think that are Arizona fans? Is the is the number more than ten? Um, we're everywhere, Brad. There's probably that, there's no. <laughs> I'm taking, uh, no. I'm taking the under. 10 is probably the right number. Um, I did actually years ago ran into a guy. Oh, man, where was I? Who I had a Braves hat on. He had a Braves shirt, and he listened to the podcast. I wish I could remember his name. This was three or four years ago, and it was just an awesome moment. So shout out to that great gentleman, whoever you may be. Um, yeah, do you want to talk some Michigan football, Brad? I, I don't. I don't. I really, really don't. I, I, I tweeted before the game on Saturday, in which Michigan did win. Uh, on the road without their head coach um, that I, there is one blessing for me in living in Atlanta and also not covering Michigan football. Like I do a lot of professional things covering sports. I cover the Hawks the most exclusively. And then also the Braves. I do a lot of NBA stuff, et cetera. Um, there is zero professional requirement for requirement for me to tweet or post or write about Michigan football. And I also live in Atlanta. So I'm not bombarded about it like a way that I would be if I lived in Michigan. And it's been a fantastic time to have all the th all those things come together for the last month or so because I haven't had to talk about it, and I'm still not going to talk about it now. Um, I enjoyed the game on Saturday. That was a fun. That was a fun win for, for, for Michigan yeah. football. Well, that's, that's all I have. The time is now, Brad. We have an no. open mic. It's we Sunday do not night. have an open mic. All right. I, in fact, we're out of time. The Zoom's about to shut down. No, I'm kidding. Um, look, it's it's not been a lot of fun, but they're good at football. I, I'll, I maintain that. And I, my only take that I will offer, just because you made me, I I, I don't believe. Um, despite what some folks that maybe maybe either based in based in Ohio or based in the South 
I don't think that Michigan is only good because of sign, of sign stealing. That's my only take. It's just my, I just my opinion. Tend, yeah, I tend to agree. I wanted to uh, at least offer the opportunity for you because I think uh, <laughs> I'm oh. sure you have takes and opinions, but I, I don't. don't think what I don't folks. want, what I don't yeah. want, Scott, is uh, I do want Michigan to win all the time. That that'd be nice. Um, what I go. I really don't want another Michigan Georgia matchup because the first time around. Um, Two years ago, um, I expected Michigan to lose by a lot, and they did. So it wasn't it wasn't like I was let down, and I talked absolutely no junk to any Georgia fan because I knew what was going to happen. Um, this year, I think the matchup would be closer because I think Georgia's not quite as good as they were two years ago. I think Michigan's better than they were two years ago. But I really just don't want that to happen uh, because I, it just makes my life miserable. I was yeah. just like I would just prefer not to have Michigan play Georgia ever in football, really. Yeah, but especially there's, not there's for already, uh, in the playoff. <laughs> there's already enough stress and conflict watching just sports in general, and especially yeah. college football, where one game can be the difference between a great year and an okay year. But uh, yeah, I totally get that. I'm uh, I'm all good on that. I, I'd much rather play Arizona in a, in a sport so you and I could just have some healthy banter back and forth. That'd be more there fun. There you go. Um, bear down. But yeah, bear bear down. Uh, also a great basketball win for your Wildcats this weekend. Um, all right. Well, before I start raining about Artie Ar- 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 Smith, I don't I don't call him Arthur. It's either Art or Artie. There's those are he only, he only has two names and it's not Arthur because yeah. I want to be as derogatory to him as possible. But uh, that's all I have, Scott. Anything else to plug? Uh, if not, just tell people where, where they can find you on social media, et cetera. Yep. No, thank you everybody for checking us out. If you are a longtime listener, you know that we do these all throughout the off season. If you're a new listener, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We will continue to do these. Hopefully there is some Braves news on the horizon, but we also do a deep dive looking back on the season that it was. And then of course, some look ahead when we get a little bit deeper into the off season. So uh, we'll be here pretty regularly. Be sure to check out the feed as well. You have a couple of great shows. I am at Scott Coleman 55 and I'm sure we'll be back soon. Scott, you don't even need me to like do hosting things. That was a fantastic setup at the end of the podcast. I will just echo what Scott no, said. You're not, you're not wiggling off that easy. Brad. I will just echo what Scott said. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast probably knows a Braves fan that does not listen to us. And if that is true, please share the show with them. They may hate it and that's okay, but have them give it a chance, perhaps in the off season or whatever. But yeah, we'll be here, Scott and I, on a regular basis. We also have Sean Coleman, the Daily Hammer. We have Chris Steven on the podcast to be named later. Five-star ratings and reviews, appreciated. You know, Spotify, Apple, et cetera. Also read the site, batterypower.com. If our track record is to be believed, Scott, I'm assuming that Alex will make a signing on Monday morning because it's happened before. So we're just for timestamp's sake, we're signing off this podcast at about 8.20 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. So if the Braves make a move overnight, you will know why. You are welcome in advance. <laughs> yes, uh, it is what it is. We'll do our part. The all-timer was that Monday morning uh, early in Alex's tenure when they made those two signings in November. And they did nothing else the rest of the offseason. season. you remember that? And they just they, Their entire yeah. winter was done on like November 12th. I think, I think that was the Josh Donaldson, Brian That's, McCann that signing. Is, that, that is correct. It was the same day, same morning, and they were done for like three months. It was incredible. Yeah. Made for um, great podcast content. Yeah, let's months. not do let's not do that again. In fact, I know we already lamented Alex's lack of rumor mongering, but if he could just wait, just maybe spread some stuff out. Like maybe a signing or a trade every few weeks for a while would be really appreciated. Anyway, thank you, Scott, for being here. Thank you for everyone for listening to the podcast today. And as always, see you all next time.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 